You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark, Caitlin, Patrick, Towner. Happy Friday. I'm not supposed to say it's Friday, but it's Friday. Some of you have poured cocktails. I haven't. I'm very disappointed in myself. But EGIF. I do want to begin this week by reviewing our NFL predictions from last week. Our records. Okay. Mark Alderman, two and four. Yep. Got a couple of them wrong. Caitlin Martin, three and three. Patrick Martin, four and two. Howard Schweitzer, six and oh, just, just saying, just saying. Well, now, I, I guess there was some point to being a Giants fan after all, Howard. Well, you, you, you would have been three and three, except you picked the Giants in the Eagles Bucks game and that disqualified you. So <laughs> you brought up the rear mark, but in any event, let's pick up where we were. We were just, talking before we before we turned on the mic about how it feels like it's kind of rinse and repeat every week Biden's struggling Caitlin kick us off what's your what's your perspective well we saw the president give a very long um, press conference finally speak to reporters this week for the first time in many 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 months um, there were some you know some interesting tidbits there was some a little bit of confusion uh, there's a lot of frustration I did not like his statements about not trusting the legitimacy of the 2022 election and think that that was you know going down a, a wrong path but I think uh, Mark or someone on on last week's podcast must have passed along some of my suggestions last week because we are seeing him pivot and say, I need to get out of the White House more. I need to get out of the Washington bubble more. Let's focus on what he has accomplished, which even I'll admit there has been the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which I brought up last week and said he should spend more time promoting and talking about. Um, and he is going to get out of the White House and, and do a bit more of that. So I think we we also saw the failure this week of um, the Senate, the Senate Democrats, what they call voting rights bill. But we're also seeing a pivot to this bipartisan group of senators led by Susan Collins and several others to get some reforms like a reform to the Electoral College Act, which we talked about last week, um, and, and focus on things that we can get done with a 50-50 Senate. Um, so I, I think it was interesting. There was a little bit of a pivot. I mean, not still not a great week for him. Still a lot of confusion out of that press conference. But he's trying to focus on what he can get done. And um, hopefully some of the Democratic Party stops demonizing two of their own members to the extent that they've been doing this week. And we see a little bit, uh, a little bit more happen there. Patrick. Yeah, I agree. Keon said it was long. I, I think it was just Irish. I just heard it. Was like, it, was, it could have been one of my uncles up there. It was just two hours of talking. Uh, but no, I agree. You know, I, I think talk about the things that are going well and that have worked well. When we talk about the bipartisan infrastructure package, this is the whole thing with like just what your role is as president. There were a lot of process story this week on kind of the Senate president. You know, he's the senator president and he just needs to get off Capitol Hill. Like 
Biff happened because of my, a bipartisan group of senators got together and made it happen. And Joe Biden can take credit for it and should take credit for it as a big win uh, for the country. But like, let Congress legislate and just show the country that you're focused on running the government, managing the pandemic. Don't tie your entire self-worth into build back better or whatever it is. Like, it's just that is not the country doesn't care. They just you know, want to know that there's effective leadership well, at the my time. perspective as a former executive branch person is like when when you're in the executive branch, you want to stay the hell away from Congress. Like I didn't want to go anywhere near town or French, you know, on, on Capitol Hill. I wanted you and I were still going. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you and I were talking about this earlier. This week, Towner, in the context of, of a client issue, like the executive branch wants to do its thing. They want to run government. They really want to stiff arm Congress as much as possible. And yeah, Biden does have to get off of Capitol Hill because that's like you can actually you have well, the reins of government. You can actually make things happen in the executive branch and they need to do that. Towner. He's got to get off Mark. Capitol Hill because it ain't working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it's broke, fix it. And he's got to get off Capitol Hill because it ain't working. He's a creature, of course, of Capitol Hill. So he he was naturally drawn, but enough already. I, I did have a chance to talk to a couple of folks, Caitlin, after our last podcast, a couple of folks in Washington, and even in the White House, I told them they were making a big mistake making you mad that if they didn't find a way to bring you along, the midterms were going to be hell. So you should feel proud that the president heard you and that he is pivoting. And, and thank goodness, he maybe he hit bottom. Maybe this is the turn. You know, we talked for four years about Trump pivoting. That didn't work so well but it was a different kind of pivot different kind of pivot and this is something that uh that i think howard is exactly what you were saying i think he's he's decided to uh to act like the chief executive rather than the uh, president of the Senate. Maybe and, it took him a year to really realize why he got elected a year ago. Uh, yeah, or, but but I got to say one thing. We you, we can't have it both ways here. You, you can't compliment and congratulate him on the bipartisan infrastructure package, which doesn't happen without White House involvement and say at the same time he should get the hell off the hill it it's just that what he was pushing wasn't wasn't no i don't agree with that mark you can have it both ways because you can legislate to a to a point and then take your wins and no no i think maybe i agree maybe maybe the key to biden is like on infrastructure he's really good negotiating a bipartisan proposal as opposed to a partisan proposal. Yeah. No, I think there's something to that. I, I think the pivot, the the getting the hell out of town and, and taking this case to the country is a, a little bit of a turning from the progressive agenda back to the Biden agenda. We've talked a lot about this here. 
But he, somebody just said, may have been you, Caitlin, and and once again, uh, the president heard your message. He wasn't elected to enact the progressive agenda, and and Congress and the country have pretty clearly told him that ain't happening. So I I think it was a a better week. It, it the thing is, it, the thing that's driving me crazy actually is that it's it feels like sport for people to want to take do a takedown on Biden. And I don't I don't think it's I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's funny. And I wish it weren't happening. Um I wish that the I wish that the material wasn't there to enable people to do the takedown. Like I don't want him to fail. I want him to succeed. We need desperately need the stability in the White House towner. Yeah. Like we're all yeah. we're all Americans. We all want well, this country to do better. Well, the good thing is, you know, he's allowed Republicans for the first time in a long time to just sit back, relax, and watch. Right. And it's been right. fantastic to see. I mean, sometimes, you know, like like with infrastructure, sometimes he hits a home run and and sometimes it's like a cartoon where he's stepping on a rake and it hits him in the head and he turns around, steps on a shovel and it hits him in the head and he just can't get out of his own way. Um, and so, you know, the interesting other thing for me as a congressional person, as you as you mentioned, Howard, is that, uh, you know, folks in both parties on Capitol Hill love it when the president travels to the Capitol when they're seating their base of power, when they're not all going down to the White yeah. House and kissing the ring to negotiate. And and he's been doing way too much of that since mid-year 2021. Yeah. Ever since exactly. Build Back Better started, started coming together and then falling apart, he's been doing way too much going over there and trying to figure out what's going on instead of making everybody come to him and he'll be the decider of what ultimately is in the package. I think he needs to... You know, for a congressional guy, it's great. I love it when the balance of power starts to shift back because it's been since Watergate that the executives had the legislative's number. But, uh, but you know, seeing a little bit of that move back over to the legislative side is fine by me, uh, but not good for Biden. Yeah. Listen, when you're sitting in an agency or sitting in the White House, like, yeah, you got to go up to the Hill. And, like, this is why we always tell our clients... Well, you can work the executive branch through the hill. They can haul you up there, but it isn't fun. You don't want to do it. It's it's a pain in your you know what. It's like it's not um it's not something that you then you go back and you say, okay, now I'm gonna go do my real work. And yeah, if he's up there kissing the ring yeah. on Capitol Hill, that's not that's not leading the country. That's not and being I, president. I think one thing. I hope we see, I hope this has been, this will be part of the pivot. You know, uh, Biden, the president and the first lady, Joe and Jill, were in Philadelphia on Martin Luther King Day at Phil Abundance, uh, which is a, a food bank here. And I did actually get a chance to talk to a couple of people who actually spent some time with them, old Philadelphia friends. I have to honestly say, Caitlin, I, I can't swear your name came up in those conversations, even though I, I promoted it. But but what they said that I found very encouraging is that he was talking about a about getting back to executive orders and getting back to 
promoting the agenda through the stroke of a pen because he 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 hasn't been doing great, but he isn't stupid. He has been in Washington before, and he knows that he knows when he's hit a dead end. But he's still got the pen, and and we talked uh, a year ago about how we expected there to be a lot of activity through executive orders on climate change, on cannabis, Patrick, on voting rights, for that matter. Didn't didn't go that way, but I. I've got reason to believe that that's what he's thinking has to happen next. Patrick, yeah, you, one. you worked in the Senate and in the Obama administration. What's your perspective on this? Well, there's one, I was going to say it's exactly, there's one area where I agree with what Tanner said about how it's shifting back and Howard, your point about just executive or branch appointees wanting to avoid the Hill. I think not only is that true, it's also smart. The one area where I feel like the white house made a clear pivot this week is, and there's a, this is a very specific kind of, kind of situation is white house staff and U S senators like white senior white house staffers are the, they get humongous egos about like being at the center of power. But the reality is that no one elected them and their power 100% derives from the loyalty that the president shows to them and, and, and allowing them to serve. And Joe Manchin had enough of it. He did not like the way he was treated at the end of the year. And you saw the pivot this week. You saw Klain come out and say, we're not going to talk about any of the negotiating that's going on. And I guarantee that came from the top. We're not going to have senior White House officials dragging people whose votes we need through the mud. And so that, that's where I think the power balance, to your point, Howard, like the executive branch runs the government, agencies run the government, agency heads run the government. And congressional committee staff, a lot of times can go get lost and you try to avoid them as much as you can. But when senior White House staffers start trying to uh, think that they are equal to elected U.S. senators, that's where things get a little tricky, particularly in a 50-50 Senate where you need every single one of their votes. You know, another observation I I made, I didn't uh, time it out, but I I, I think I'm right in, in observing this. Uh we, we shouldn't forget foreign policy in these discussions. That You really want to go there, Mark? Well, I left that out of my uh, review we, we of the press conference you. on purpose, Mark. Yeah, we weren't dragging you into that minefield, but if you'd like Keep to going, go, Mark. <laughs> no, um, I am saying that if you tried to measure how much of the press conference he spent talking about foreign policy, it was a lot. And it's an area that from his Senate days he is familiar with. He's got some challenges. We have a country have yeah. some challenges. But it, that's something where he he doesn't have to go to Congress. He doesn't have to deal with Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. And I I think it is I think it's an area that's gonna command more of his attention for that reason and because the world is demanding it of him. Agreed. I totally agree with that, Mark. And one thing I want to, because Caitlin was so nice and said something nice about uh, the president's week, I kind of wanted to add something in on the other side. You know, you saw a lot of criticism of President Biden's comments and, so, you know, he had to walk back a little of what he said. Some of it, I think he genuinely did misspeak. You also had this issue with Leader McConnell uh, and what he said about African-American voters. What Howard, to your point about like political sport, 
we've got to cut people a little slack when they don't use the exact right words. And I know that polish and everything is a very important part of professional politics, but like on this, on this podcast, I know when someone means one thing and accidentally misses it by a word or two. And, and it, and that it just, I'm so tired of, it happens with Biden all the time because he's old in the case of McConnell, it was an attempt to paint him as racist. And it's just, I, I get so sick of that stuff. And I just feel like to your point, Howard, it's sport. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's bad for our, our civil discourse and our politics. It's bad for, yeah, for morale. It's bad for, it's bad yeah. for the country. Biden's not senile and McConnell's not racist. And you can argue all you want about the policy priorities and like, but it's just, it's, it's total nonsense. I mean, Biden has lost a step. Yeah, that's fair. But he's not running or it's not, what is it, weekend of Bernie? It's like, he's not like he doesn't know what's going on. Right. I mean, right. That, and that is, it's, it's jerky when cable news commentators and members of Congress try to portray it that way. And I'm just, to Caitlin's point, because yeah. she did say a nice thing, I didn't like the way McConnell's, I, you know what he meant. He left the word out. And I just thought it was it was hacky the way people went at him about it. Right. No, it's very. They got Bill Frist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's... One word sometimes can change. I mean, it's just yeah, and that's that's not want to be held well, to that standard. We've, when... Yeah, we've come a long way uh, since President Johnson, who under current standards would have been driven out of office before he was driven out of office. And yet before he got driven out of office, he did manage to pass Medicare and Medicaid and one or two other, uh, one or two other bills. No, it's, it is. Uh, and, and look, like the, the other thing about our politics today is, you know, these, these people say one thing publicly We've talked about this before. And then they say another thing privately and particularly on Capitol Hill. And this isn't particular to one side of the aisle. But as I've said before, I can't count the number of members who voted against the TARP in 2008 and then privately thanked me for everything we'd been doing and told me how much they supported it, even though they voted against it. Well, that's a really interesting point, Howard, because we have seen that a lot this week among Republican House members going out and tweeting about the great projects in their district and taking credit for them. And they have, they indeed voted against the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So we're, it's it's an interesting dichotomy that you bring that up because we have seen a lot of that this week. And it's, You know, an interesting needle to thread there for that. And look, politics is politics, and it's it's okay. Go ahead, Towner. Is is this opposite day to day? I mean, I know, I know. I don't know why I just did that, but you know, I don't know. I mean, come on. Even I can see the hypocrisy in this, and I was supportive of the bipartisan nature of that bill and the way it came together. As are a most lot of great people. wins for our clients. Caitlin's just testing you. She wants to see if you can carry the party on your back. And yeah. I got to say, in the early going here, I'm not sure what the answer is. To well, me. I mean, you know, I can say things like, you know, with the child tax credit going away, President Biden's going to uh, preside over the largest increase in child poverty since the Great Depression this month. You know, can we can we drop something like that? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing we saw this week is I think. Somebody shot around an article 
on CNN about a cabal of former Trump staffers concerned about his subversion of democracy, banding together and speaking weekly. And um, I think John Kelly, former White House chief of staff, former secretary of Homeland Security is leading this group or something. I don't, you know, a, a few dozen staffers. Um, I, I don't know, Patrick. Yeah, Kate, didn't Caitlin organize that effort? <laughs> Last time I checked, Caitlin. Out, and I just, I, my, my point was just, and I think we had some agreement, all of us on this. It's just like, who are these people, you know, thinking that A, what they're doing is going to make any kind of difference. B, that airing their grievances publicly somehow absolves them of, <laughs> you know, their, the time they spend advocating for all this stuff. It just looks like they are in service of, themselves and their own careers. And, you know, cable news does not do a very good job of keeping them off the airwaves. In fact, they seem to encourage, uh, you know, all these people coming on and acting like they've been enlightened and now they're doing something about it. And I just think it's, I think it's silly and it's not new, right? I mean, Mark, like at the, you yeah, know, I was going to ask Clinton, where the breaking news in this story. Right. I mean, like during the Clinton impeachment scandal, you had a bunch of Democrats turning. They were shocked, appalled. It's like, really? Yeah. We, we didn't yeah. know that President Clinton was like this. I'm, I mean, it's just, it's right. kind of some, you know, it's all, it's the light. Casablanca, and uh, I'm shocked to find gambling going on. And it's, and yeah. It's, it's why the rest of America literally hates Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah, but and in the cable news part, they perceive that's Caitlin because you nailed it. Like if you're just someone at home living in X state out in the country, this is what you think Washington is. You think it's these like mid-level Trump appointees on CNN talking about what they're like, and that isn't. We all know none of these people. Yeah. really probably had any influence anyway. And they just want a spot at a table at The View. They were there yeah. till, many of them were there till the very, very end. And they're working on rehabbing their images. And I think that that's, you know. What are they going to do? I guess, welcome to this town. Hashtag this town. It's a little disgusting, but. What are they going to do if oh, he gets God. reelected? Or if he gets elected He'll again? He'll probably be the first ones there with their <laughs> yeah, resumes yeah. knocking on the door to come back in. Yeah. But Howard, let's let's turn back, if we may, for just a minute to something good that is actually going yeah. on in the country that actually came from Washington and is now happening at where people live. And that is the bipartisan infrastructure yeah. package money is starting to flow. We had a great success uh, in this group. This week, Patrick, you should share. Patrick, Caitlin, and Towner are responsible for it. So I, I defer to the three of you to pick a spokesperson. But tell us about the Everglades. Uh, Imagine this, Mark. Something got done in this group, and the two of us were not involved. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's, I by the way, that's there. every day. Uh, I will remind the other three that we were present at the creation. We, were, we did bring it in on the pitch. But they got the work done. We know who's doing the real work around here. Go it was ahead, a it was a team effort, but I'm going to speak on behalf of Team Martin and the up Tanner French, who did a fantastic job leading this effort to give just a little bit of the highlights of of what went down and what we saw this week. Oh, geez. Well, you know, it was 
it was a team effort 100% because because part of the 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 neat thing about Cozen O'Connor is we have Republicans and Democrats on the same team we're we're all pushing in the same direction and in this case we were we were representing the Everglades Foundation uh, and able to secure 1.1 billion dollars, uh, the single largest investment in the restoration of the Florida Everglades, which is the world's largest ecological restoration uh, that's going on. It's it's drinking water for millions of people. It's four national parks. It's what are 12 estuaries and and I mean it's a big deal for for a big chunk of Florida uh, who rely on the Everglades and it's uh, it, it'll be neat to see this money really go into the projects uh, that they've they've put out and uh, and and see the the ecological restoration that that takes place because we've been involved in projects like this before and just the the ability to return to a natural habitat to help the environment to help industry and businesses because people live there businesses are there they rely on these on these uh, habitats to to have drinking water and things along those lines so it's uh, it was a neat one to be a part of well, congrats, well, if, any guys. Of our, if any of our parents are listening to the podcast, <laughs> we're all retired down in South Florida. This yeah. is some good uh, yeah. bragging you can do about what. Uh, well, <laughs> it, it was such a noteworthy accomplishment that it even made the Cozen O'Connor CEO update. Yes. So, yes. I, I think that's the ultimate measure of success in our world. Th- there is Not a secondary Marcus. Florida connection on here for sure. A lot of, uh, a lot of, parents uh hanging out down there mark to your point money's money's flowing like the the historic nature of this package i was on several calls this week with the administration about the ev infra portion 7.5 billion a historic investment in this new technology they want this money to flow to states quickly they're working aggressively to set up uh how this is how the funding with the state dot's is going to work we could see money start flowing this summer uh, so, I mean, it's really, there's a uh, an exciting right. historic nature of this that's going to benefit communities all over the country. And Democrats and Republicans should celebrate it and take credit for it because it happened as a team effort. See, this is the thing. And like some of this goes to what we do for a living. Like look, Tanner, at the Everglades Project, the way you articulated it. I mean, significant, the largest ecological restoration project in the world. Like, think about that. And think about the good that we, the three of you, have done for for the the country, for the environment. It's like yeah. everything's vilified, and you know, lobbyists well, are vilified, I, and we're used to that. But it's really, it's really that's why we all love what we do because we can bring that kind of value, and it's it's just very it's very rewarding. And uh, you guys just did a phenomenal job. And, and back to the beginning uh, of this podcast, when we were talking about uh, Caitlin's advice being followed by the president, yeah. the, it's something that the president should be out. Go in the tell the story. About. It's a yeah. great success story. It's bipartisan and it's big. Another another tragedy of the build back better debacle 
was that the magnitude of this infrastructure package got diminished with all of the nonsense numbers that were being discussed with Build Back Better, three trillion, five trillion, however many. This this wasn't three trillion; it was only a trillion. But it's yeah. a big deal, a big deal that's good for a lot of people in this country. My analogy has been this week, you know, my parents are both public, retired public school teachers. And when we were growing up, you know, we followed what happened in our local school district closely. And there were two types of referendums. There were building referendums, and then there were what we kind of called like programs referendums or, you know, and the building referendums always passed and people always loved them because that's new schools and that's stuff they can see. And when it became about more money for programs and things that were a little less physical and tangible, those referendums didn't always pass. And that to me is like build back better and the infrastructure bill build back better was like, it was a little harder to, it was, you knew it was some entitlement stuff. So it just was harder to bit, but we know what infrastructure is. We're going to see it and walk on it and drive on it. And it's going to be, we're going to interact with it physically in our daily lives. And I think that should be celebrated and it's politically popular too. And the thing is, it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right, if you're living in Florida, you'd like that project. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Yeah. That's the point. Yep. You know, I think this sort of defines 2022. I mean, we still have Build Back Better that's out there in the legislative ether that there might be further negotiations on down the line. There's obviously uh, the potential of some additional pandemic stimulus. Government funding needs to be taken care of in February. But really, 2022 is going to be defined by the infrastructure bill and what's remaining from the American Rescue Plan that passed last March uh, and how that money goes out into the country uh, and defining that. Because a lot of these programs are not set up yet. They're being established. Um, you know, there's $42 billion that's going to be going to states for broadband development. The federal government currently does not know where broadband development is needed. And so, you know, this program is going to be rolling out, for example, over the course of the next six months before states receive that money, shovels hit dirt, and and broadband gets expanded. So, and, and there's a lot of funding like that uh, that is going to be rolling out through the spring and summer. And, and I, I think it's a huge chunk of what uh, we in, in our lobbying profession are going to do uh, this year is, is really, you know, get into the weeds on where these dollars are going. Yeah. Well, to be continued, guys, we must, uh, since we're all stuck in our houses pretty well, much anyway, let's, let's, let's uh, continue the tradition and, and make some predictions. Now, before we go to this week's traditions, yes. I have yes, a Mark. point of order, Mr. Point Chairman. of order. Where, and this is a theme from the 2020 election, where do I go to demand a recount of last weekend's score? Because it's that it's, it's three, I was three to three. Do I call the Georgia no. Secretary of State? No, you were two and four. You were two and four, Mark. The Your Georgia Eagles really, Mark. They, re- I mean, I actually watched that game. <laughs> no, but the, it was the sad. Co- costing me a point for my joke about the Giants is, I think, out of bounds. No. I'm, I'm getting on the phone with with Georgia. They don't hold an honest election down there. Uh, all right, game number one: Bengals Titans, four thirty Saturday. Caitlin, I have no idea on that one. We'll pick a team. <laughs> Bengals. Bengals. I'm going Bengals. <laughs> Patrick. Bengals. Mark. Bengals. Wow. 
You guys go are forcing girl. my hand. I gotta go. I gotta go. Titans. They got Smart. the buy. They're the number one seed. They're the number one seed. Nobody knows who they are. Yeah. Uh, 49ers Packers. I'm going Packers. 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 49ers. Oh, all right. I feel that like it may not like... be a decision based on rational thinking and more just on pure hate, but you know, yeah. Okay. Kind of well, fair enough. Whoa. Well, that's the COVID proper answer. Spoken like a uh, exactly spoken like a uh, Chicago fan. Yeah. All right. The next game, Bucks Rams. I'm going. Bucks. All right, Patrick. Yeah, I'm going Bucks too. Towner. Brady. Brady looks. It. It's just you can't ever say it looks enough. Damn I mean, good. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Bucks. Mark. Yeah. Well, now I'm gonna play Patrick and say I. I am. I can't. Um. The Bucks are probably gonna win, but I'm going Rams. Can't I'm going. I'm picking against TB12. I'm going Rams. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah, I got to do it. Did you clear that with your dog, Pat, uh, Howard? Did you clear He's sitting right in front of me, and he does not approve based on the look on his face. But And then the last game, Buffalo, Kansas City. Mark. Love Buffalo. Yeah. I'm going Buffalo. I'm rooting for him to go all the way. Yeah. It's just fun, fun to watch. Yeah. Towner. I'm rooting for Buffalo, but I think Kansas City is going to win it. Caitlin. Buffalo. Love a good underdog. You know, I'm really torn. It's the same thing. I may switch. I've been debating whether to jump on the bandwagon and become a uh, Bills fan and give up my Giants <laughs> fandom because they're so darn pathetic. But I want the Bills, but my my head says Chiefs. Yeah. I'm going Chiefs. Yeah. And there we have it. I'll give up my football team uh, subscription too for the Bills as well. We don't even have a name for another 10 days. Right. You don't have a name. I don't have a team. We don't have a coach or a general manager. You don't have a coach. We have a GM. We don't have a coach. New GM. Somebody suggested in one of our texts this week that we switch out the NFC East for the SEC. Yeah. 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 uh, in terms of quality, I'm all for that, yeah. but, but that involves Alabama, so I can't support it. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, they would definitely win more NFL games than the Giants. And with that, we will see how we do. But guys, fun as always. Uh, great discussion. And we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.